From Chicago, welcome to Three Degrees Discussions. I'm your host, Mike Vasquez. This is a podcast devoted to the stories behind the innovators, entrepreneurs, and leaders in the 3D printing industry. I happened to go there. They were in the middle of nowhere in Norway, um, uh, this farm essentially. And, you know, that was where I, I went there and I saw they had an additive machine, uh, uh, Stratasys and a couple other systems there. And, you know, as I talked to them and learned about what they did and worked with them, you know, I went there for a week, right? Saw the machine run. Um, we did a couple iterations while I was there, really saw what the benefit was. Um, and I still remember calling my boss on the train ride back to the to the airport saying, hey, this is something really unique. We need to be thinking about this for That was Mark Barfoot. Mark has deep roots in the AM community. He spearheaded the use of added manufacturing at Christie Digital Systems, where in addition to growing the AM engineering team, he developed the co- company's hyphen business, which provides additive manufacturing and testing services to local companies. He's extensively involved with the Additive Manufacturing Users Group and is a former president of the group. Currently, Mark oversees EWI's growing additive manufacturing initiatives and helps EWI develop new additive manufacturing technology opportunities. He directs the Additive Manufacturing Consortium, a national consortium of industry, government, academic, and nonprofit research organizations operated by EWI. Before we get started, head over to www.3degreescompany.com and subscribe to the podcast. Remember, you can listen to the show anywhere you download your podcast, including Spotify, Apple, Amazon, or Stitcher. Mark, welcome to the show. I'm excited for the conversation today. Um, hearing about kind of your depth of experience and a lot of different facets of additive and, and hearing your perspective. So let's just kind of jump in. Like what's what got you started in, in engineering and kind of down that path? Um, well, I got started in engineering back in high school. I originally was going to become an architect. And so I wanted to take architectural drafting. Um, well, that class was full. So I ended up taking mechanical drafting. Um, which led to a natural summer job working in an engineering office. And I realized, hey, I really like this. And so from there, I, I uh, worked towards engineering. I uh, went to the University of Waterloo up in Canada, uh, did a mechanical engineering degree there. And uh, you know, the nice thing there, they had a lot of co-op opportunities. So I was able to see a various different areas in, in mechanical engineering and what uh, we did. I worked everywhere from powder metallurgy parts to aerospace to uh, hydraulic cylinders. So it was a, a wide mix uh, of experience. And then, uh, you know, kind of started my, my career with one of those companies in the aerospace. And then uh, it kind of progressed from there into various different roles. And what was it like getting that kind of first job? Was it was aerospace your, your first kind of major industry that, that you went into? Or was it yes, else? that was that was my first industry, you know, after school. So uh, my last couple of co-op terms were with this company. Uh, it was a company called Comdev, uh, which is now was bought by Honeywell. Uh, but uh, yeah, I started there as a co-op and then got a full-time job with them. Um, basically, at the end of my co-op term, they offered me the job once I graduated. And uh, yeah, I worked there. Did a lot of drafting, design work, uh, did a lot of automation around our CAD. So being able to, you know, they made big multiplexers for space satellites. So we were able to um, develop a system that could actually automate a lot of that design because a lot of them are very similar, just different sizes, different shapes, et cetera. And so uh, did a lot of the CAD side, but also learned a lot of the, the environmental, the testing, all that space requirements for vibration, thermal, shock, all those kind of things. So it was a good 
good way to start my career. Got a lot of grounding in the in a lot of the fundamentals and a lot of you know testing, and then uh, progressed from there. One of the things that I like about this these conversations is you get some kind of deep insight on what like how people start their careers and things like that. But can you go into a little bit more detail of like what is it like kind of day one? going into a mechanical engineering job straight out of school. I mean, you had been there for a few years or you had seen kind of the people at least, but like what's, what are kind of your responsibilities that, that you have as a kind of junior engineer kind of going into, into the field for the first time? Um, well, that was quite a few years ago. So I got to think back a bit, but uh, you know, I think it was, you know, as I got started there, you know, I, I had been there as a co-op term, so I knew a little bit about our product, what it was. Uh, but when I started as an actual engineer, it was different. I had more responsibility. Um, of course, you're given a, a lower level project to work on. You work alongside another senior engineer. Um, Comdev, I did a lot of simulation work. So a lot of, you know, CAD simulation of temperatures, vibration profiles, and things like that, which, uh, you know, is a great exposure. Uh, it's the kind of thing you can kind of run and do, and then you can have an engineer check it, make sure you, you do it um, and, and that you did everything correctly. Um, you know, the one thing I really liked about there was the ability to run that simulation and then go down to the, to the lab where we actually put the product on a vibration table or in a thermal chamber and check to see if the calculations were correct. And so, um, you know, I got a lot of hands-on, a bit of, a bit more, bit of hands-on there. Although I would say that job was my least hands-on of all my career. Um, basically, you know, it was more CAD sitting in front of a computer doing, you know, CAD designs, simulations, programming for some of the automation in the background, um, you know, and, and doing the analysis type work, um, you know, and that's where, when I started there, it was great exposure, great experience, based it off of for all the rest of my career. But I found for me, I need, I wanted a bit more of that hands-on atmosphere. And so that's where, you know, I was there for a few years and then I moved over to Christie Digital and that was a lot more dynamic hands-on. And I was there a lot of years, uh, you know, almost 18, 19 years and uh, held various roles there. But I, the, what I liked about it compared to Condev was, Yes, we still did that simulation. We still did some of that mechanical work, but we also got to put the product together. We got to see the product real time. Uh, that was the one hard thing with the space industry, right? You make a product and it's like three, four years later, you know, hey, that thing's in space, right? And, uh, you know, I remember one of my last projects was, you know, working on the Sirius satellite radio. Well, it didn't really launch until I wasn't even at the company anymore, right? So uh, that was, uh, you know, that's where I liked the, the, um, Christie side where I was able to, um, you know, see it, you launch the product, it's out at a customer site, right? Or you go to a movie theater, you go to a simulator and you see, you know, how they're actually utilizing it. So that was, that was really good. Um, I think the other part with Christie that was really great is, you know, a projector has all different types of engineering in it, right? So you've got vibration issues, you've got an optical path, you've got thermal, you're doing injection molding skins, you're doing castings, you're doing machining, you're doing mechanisms for all the lens mounts and motor systems. Um, you had to make transit cases and packaging and all that stuff, right? So it was really, I really enjoyed that aspect of it. Um, you know, I think, you know, if you're looking to get engineering, you know, there is a different areas of engineering, right? So some people, you know, they go and develop this one portion of the product, right? If you're especially in some of the auto industry or that, you know, you're making that 
brake pad or that that you know mechanical bracket you know that was one thing i i liked where we were with christy and some other products where it's you know you're building everything that's inside that product and was it that christy that you got introduced to additive manufacturing or where did where did that kind of thread come into your career path correct that that was really where i i started with it so when i first started there you know we would get the odd sla pattern back then um to you know prove out a design try it out um but uh you know we did that for the first year or two that i was there and i was actually out visiting a company in norway um that we were um we got in touch with because they did some industrial design they also made a product um a projector so they were a smaller company that would do projection as well that we were looking at oeming and, and rebranding as the christie product so I happened to go there. They were in the middle of nowhere in Norway, um, uh, this farm essentially. And, you know, that was where I, I went there and I saw they had an additive machine, uh, uh, Stratasys and a couple other systems there. And, you know, as I talked to them and learned about what they did and worked with them, you know, I went there for a week, right? Saw the machine run. Um, we did a couple iterations while I was there, really saw what the benefit was. Um, and I still remember calling my boss on the train ride back to the to the airport saying, hey, this is something really unique. We need to be thinking about this for Christy. And so and I, I remember him telling the story from his end. He's like, the cell connection was horrible on the train, but whatever it was, I knew it was something we needed to do. You, you really bought into it hook, line and sinker. And so, you know, I came back, explained it to the group. And uh, that was, you know, led to doing the first justification and purchase of our first machine at Christie. And so, um, you know, and we purchased that machine and I had an estimate of how long it would take to pay back and what it could do. And then, you know, a year later came back and said, hey, this machine's already paid for. There's what we did with it. Here's what we could do, but we're at the capacity. Let's add another machine. And so that kind of snowballed and we kept adding equipment. And, uh, you know, that's really what I think changed the way Christie did their products, right? They used to do not as much tooling at the early stage because they were concerned about, hey, is it going to work? Are all those challenges? Well, now we were able to prototype it early, prove that it all worked. And then when we went to tooling, you know, very little tooling changes, any of those kind of things. So, um, you know, it was a great tool for Christie, you know, and, you know, it started from a prototyping, but then we slowly moved into doing jigs and fixtures and even some of the production parts. Uh, there. And so that sounds very similar to what even companies are doing today in exploring additive. So like, what were some of those uh, conversations like early on when you're trying to convince a company to, to adopt the new, uh, a new technology like additive? I mean, it sounds like you made kind of a business plan, hey, we're going to pay this back in a year, two years, and, and this, these are the metrics. But like, what was, what was that like in terms of the, the early days and, and justifying a, a new tool like that? Um, well, it was definitely a challenge, although I was really blessed with, you know, not only, you know, my boss, who is the VP of engineering, our president, and then our CFO at that time, they all were, were willing to, they were that type of personality that was like, Hey, I see something in this. Let's take a chance on it. No, I can't dot every I cross every, uh, T on it, but I think it's got a potential. Let's, let's try it and see. And so, um, you know, since then I've been with, CFOs and things like that that don't have that mentality, it's much harder, right? So that was one of the benefits. Um, but I think, you know, that first iteration, you know, it was harder to justify, although it was, you know, back then it was whatever, $150,000 for a Stratasys machine. It wasn't 
millions, right? So it was, it was okay to get going. Um, and you know, what I think really helped us propagate it was I started keeping records right away. So it was like, okay, we got this machine in, here's the parts we build, here's what we could do with it. And then I'd go back and say, Hey, here's where we're at, right? It's six months in, we said it would be a two year payback. We've almost paid it off in the six months or something like that, whatever the numbers were, um, which made it a lot easier on the next one to come and say, Hey, here's this other machine, you know, and I always kind of overestimated probably thinking that, Hey, it might take two years, four years to pay back, hoping that it would be quicker than that. Um, because that's the challenge when you're trying to justify something like that is how much is it going to be used? What are you going to use it for? Um, and what I found with additive, you know, half the time I justified it on a certain portion or thing that we were going to bring it in for, but we used it for so much more that it was so much easier to justify because, you know, we brought it in for prototyping. Well, but we made production fixtures that used to cost us, you know, tens of thousands to send out and weeks of time. Now I was able to rebuild those in-house, you know, in less than a week. And, you know, really the cost was just the resin because we already had the machine. So it was, uh, you know, a no brainer to, to switch to that. Now you're done maybe a thousand dollars or a couple thousand dollars by the time you put all the labor into it versus, you know, the outsource costs. So, you know, it was easy to justify. I think once you got that first machine in, um, and I've taught justification courses over the years, uh, with AMUG and stuff. And, you know, that's what I always say with people start taking your records and keep track of it. And, you know, a lot of the people that have taken that course years ago have come back to me and said, Hey, that was so beneficial because, you know, once I proved it, it's easier to prove the next one. If you've got that background history or, you know, Hey, I'm sending out X amount of parts for a service bureau or somewhere else. Now you can use that for your justification to, to bring in the machine. So were you the one operating the machine at the time or like, as you thought, like brought these machines in, how do you think about the, the, the people aspect yep. of it? Like who's going to run it? Who's going to, where's it going to live? Whose yep. responsibility is it? <laughs> so, you know, when the machines first came in, I was definitely more hands-on than I was when I left the company, but it was, uh, yeah, it was a team effort when we started out. Um, I had some great shop team, uh, you know, they were more machinists and, you know, they came up the, through the machining realm but they got what the technology could do quickly as well. So, you know, they quickly came up to speed. Um, however, I was way more hands-on when we first got it, right? Especially, you know, the FDM machine we got first was relatively easy to use. We got up to speed pretty quickly on it. You know, I, I fast forward to the next machine, which is our SLS machine. Um, that's when I got involved with AMUG because literally I got that thing in six months later, we still can't get it to build well, right? And so we were struggling to figure it out. So it was it was literally a team effort to try to get it working. And it really wasn't until I got to AMUG and talking to other people, because um, back then, especially the OEMs weren't as good at helping you. Um, so you ended up having to talk to somebody else that had a similar machine. You know, every machine had its own little vintageness to it um, because they would always make these updates at early stage, right? And so, you know, your machine was done and you had this upgrade, but somebody else didn't have that upgrade. So now what they were doing wasn't relevant, et cetera. So you had to, to weed through some of that. But uh, yeah, it was definitely much more hands-on early stage. Um, then I remember moving to the Z Corp uh, where we, were, we thought, hey, this can do really fast printing, this binder jetting process. And I remember they were sitting there trying to geology dig, take the parts out and then infiltrate it with cyanoacrylate and everything sticking to me and trying to figure out how to do all that. Um, I remember my, my boss happened to walk in one day when I'm there and I'm literally, everything stuck to me because 
you know, with Z-Corp, you'd infiltrate it with crazy glue, right? So um, yeah, it was a challenge to figure out what crazy glue won't stick to, right? So that you don't end up having those challenges and things. So yeah, I was definitely very hands-on early stage and I've stayed hands-on throughout it. Um, but more, I would say even more from that advisory level, like, yes, I'm there. I know how it runs. I, I could run it. Um, and often did, right. That was our, the way our team functioned, right. There was a core group that would run the machines, but Hey, additive machines often get switched out at odd hours. Right. So, you know, I'd take the call at, you know, okay, this weekend, somebody has got to come in at midnight. I'll do it. Or somebody has got to come in at five in the morning on Sunday. I'll take it this time. Right. Um, so that kept me you know, aware of how the technology works because I'd have to actually be able to pull the build out, put a build back in, get it started, et cetera. And this idea of, I mean, kind of like almost, it's not all hands on deck, but just like that willingness to kind of come in and work on the machines. Like it's, that's a common thread that I've, I've seen throughout successful people that I've talked to on this and just in the industry, but like what other kind of attributes have you seen as successful kind of elements of, of someone that, either you like to work with in, in these kind of additive groups or kind of that you've observed in, in your experience in, in the space? Yeah, um, definitely you, you need somebody hands-on, right? You gotta be able to understand everything from the CAD through how, how it's gonna process to how you're gonna post-process it afterwards. And you need to be that mechanical aptitude. That's where most of the people that I had hired they were like a machinist or a technologist uh, kind of background, somebody that had some hands on. Um, they had to be the kind of person that's willing to jump in and try it. Um, you know, not be afraid of, hey, if I take this apart, can I put it back together? They, they were confident they could do that because um, you often had to, right? And so, you know, and I, I was just talking to somebody at our AMC last week and they were like, well, what do, I, what, what do you look for most in an in additive technician? And uh, their, their feedback was great. It was like somebody that's resilient when it breaks and it fails, they just keep going, right? Cause that's just going to happen and you need to be not let it get to you and keep moving on, right? It's, you know, when it breaks, well, yeah, it broke. It's Tuesday. That happens every week. Right? Like it's, uh, it's just a typical thing that uh, you deal with in this industry. And so you spent what you said, 18, 19 years at Christie. What was kind of the next step in, in your career? Um, yeah, so the, the next step, you know, at Christie, you know, we did a lot of work internally. I also, uh, we also ran a small service bureau for a while. Um, you know, this was back when additive was not really prevalent. So especially up in Canada, we had a lot of our own customers coming to us and say, hey, can you produce parts for us? Because I can't get anything. So we decided to offer it as kind of a community help to help our local community. Uh, our president at the time was very big on that. So, you know, we ran a service bureau for a while. Um, and then, uh, you know, really the business grew internally for the amount of work we needed. It made more sense to just focus it back onto the internal, uh, which we did. Um, but for me, I wanted to keep growing and additive, wanted to do more. And so um, I left the, there and went to the University of Waterloo and uh, had a similar role to what I have now at EWI, where uh, they were doing a research center. So it was a research center. Um, for additive, um, they had a wide variety of different technologies, being able to, you know, have a customer come in or somebody come in, try it, try something out with them, hopefully prove it out. Um, and I also thought I could, you know, encourage the students and things like that that were there. And so, uh, so that's where I, where I was there. I was there not that long. I found 
that academic, that pure academic environment just wasn't for me. I'd been too many years in industry, I think. Um, and, uh, you know, it's just a different mindset, different way the a university works. Um, and so then I, I moved back over into the industrial side, uh, worked for a service bureau or a, a reseller slash service bureau, um, up in Canada that's, that resold Stratasys and desktop metal machines, uh, as well as exact metal and got, you know, involved in that, learned a lot more of the sales process and how to manage service and, and kind of the backend challenges, you know, seeing it from the other perspective, right? From I was a user, now I'm a reseller, right? That's a different perspective. Um, so it was kind of interesting to see that. Um, and then the opportunity here at EWI opened up to run an additive manufacturing consortium, which basically was what I liked about at the university, but also networking, connecting people together, helping educate them, uh, try new projects, run tests, uh, projects with them. And, uh, you know, so I took the opportunity and, and came here uh, to Buffalo to EWI. So I'm going to back up a few on a few, a few steps on that. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> um, so like talk a little bit more about the reseller part. I mean, that's something that we've not talked too much about on, on the podcast, but I mean, there is this whole network of, you know, the big names of the Stratasys and desktop metal and 3d systems, but like there is this kind of chain of reseller networks across the world, really that, that help get these machines out into the, into the public, into the, into the manufacturing, and then do all that backend support. So kind of what, how does, how does that work usually? So like, would, if you're at, uh, at Christie for, for instance, like you see, you want a Stratasys machine and like you find kind of the closest reseller, like what, what, just explain that maybe a little bit more for someone who may not be aware not that that even exists. Yeah. So, you know, the way the reseller network works and it varies depending on the OEM that you're making, uh, that making the machine. Uh, some OEMs have just a very limited reseller network, which I think actually sometimes works better. Um, you know, for us, we were a Stratasys, uh, a desktop metal reseller. They had multiple resellers within the same area, which I think is sometimes a challenge because, um, you end up spending more time fighting, you know, trying to figure out whose lead was it, right? You're all at a trade show. Well, which one was the person that actually talked to them first, right? So, so that can be a challenge. Um, but the good thing is having multiple resellers. If, if you're able to pick which reseller you go with, certain resellers are really good at being that practical, hands-on, um, have that industry experience, help you work through it. Um, others are more purely sales, right? They don't really have that background. And so, you know, that was where I, why I went to Symmetrics was that that was what their mentality was, right? They were help the customer through that even build parts for them early stage. And they had been my supporter all through the time when I was, uh, you know, a customer of theirs. Um, and, uh, you know, I think that's unique in some cases, right? Some resellers just don't know how to, to do that, you know, connection because it's hard though for a reseller too, because, you're selling machines. You're not the one actually making it. You're not the one physically there. Um, you know, I think the ones that do better to be more practical are the ones that run a side service bureau as well, uh, because then you're you're still running the machines. You're making physical parts, not just a demo piece, um, and you kind of get to to try that out. But uh, yeah, if you can get a good reseller, you know, they're just that other avenue to help you through when you have a challenge, right? So you know, and, you know, you really want to find a reseller that's able to, you know, answer your questions, gets to know you. Um, Cause that's the one challenge I found too, with some of the resellers 
you know, when I worked at Christie, our team knew everything, right? They're one of the better people running these machines. If we were calling with an issue, we'd already exhausted, you know, yes, the machine's plugged in, all those, you know, simple questions. Um, so you really wanted to get that escalated right away because, you know, it's not just a, a user that doesn't, you know, comparatively, right? Resellers deal with a lot of people that just got the new machine, right? They don't know anything about the machine. And so, yes, they call for those, quote, dumb questions, I guess you'd say. Um, but you want to try and find that reseller that gets to know you, knows what stage you're at and knows, hey, if, they're, if you're calling, you really have a problem and you need, you need input right away. And so, um, but, but they're a great opportunity, right? Because sometimes those resellers, they're local. They're usually the ones that provide you the service of your machines as well. Um, so it's advantageous to have them close, right? Because that was one of my challenges with one of my machines. You know, any service tech I needed had to come from the U.S. Well, being in Canada, border issues, you know, they always get stuck at the border, right? Murphy's Law, right? When you needed it the most, parts got stuck at the border or your technician got stuck at the border. And so um, having a local reseller that doesn't have to worry about all those challenges or that stocks material, stocks spare parts, you know, meant that, hey, if it went down, I'd have it back up in the next day because they're going to be there to help me out. So, um, yeah, it was it was just a different perspective to see, to go in, help those companies, help those companies along with the justification too. That's what a lot of resellers help out with. Because um, as a company, right, you don't necessarily know. You saw it at the trade show. You don't know what your benefit is, right? And so sometimes you, I would also caution too, when you go to buy a machine, sometimes people say, I'm going to buy the cheapest machine, right? I'm going to, I only have five thousand dollars, ten thousand dollars. I'll buy that. Well, yes, you can do that, but the lower cost machines add a lot more labor because you're going to have to tweak them more. You're going to have to, you know, play with them more. Versus, you know, you buy a hundred thousand dollar machine, it should be more reliable. Not necessarily always, but most times it should be more reliable. And you know, you walk away, right? I, I remember many stories with. Uh, uh, when I was at Symmetrics, where a, a customer that had maybe a maker low end system back then come in and they're like, and we'd set up a build with them, show it how it is, and we'd hit go and say, okay, we'll go for lunch and we'll come and see. And they're like, well, what do you mean? Aren't you going to watch it for the next hour to make sure everything works? And we're like, no, it's going to run, right? That's the difference between commercial versus some of those consumer, you know, few hundred dollar, few thousand dollar type machines. And so, um, you know, it's great if you can have those resellers that help you walk through that because maybe you're looking at buying that $50,000 machine even, but in reality, it's just not going to meet what you need. Right. And so, you know, sometimes, yeah, buy that $400,000 machine because, Hey, it's going to pay you back because of the speed, the time, all those kind of things. And you've mentioned a few times along the way about uh, AMUG and kind of, uh, kind of your first involvement, but during this time, kind of in, in this time period, you were uh, also president for a number of years. So kind of how was that experience kind of adding into the uh, kind of jumping full bore into, into all things yeah. happening? Um, yeah. Well, AMUG was, uh, like I said, that's where I first got the help to get my machine working. And it's a great group for those that haven't been there. You know, that's where you get to go network. Yes, there's conference sessions. Yes, there's a bit of a trade show event. But honestly, I almost negate any of that. It, it doesn't have as much value in my mind as the network working and the sharing and getting to know people and, and everybody there is very willing to share. And so, yeah, I started there you know, over 20 years ago now, went to the first AMUG. Really, besides, I missed two years in that 20 years. One was like my second year, I didn't go. I sent my other team member 
And then after that, we all went. And then last year with COVID, I wasn't able to go just from a company policy standpoint. But um, so I, you know, I grew up there. I've been there for a while, got to know all the people. And then one, one day somebody came to me and said, hey, we're looking for a member of the board. Would you be interested? And I'm like, didn't even know what it was. And it was kind of funny because I messaged quickly, texted my, my boss and said, hey, would, would you be okay with me being part of this? They're like, well, what is, what does it mean? Like, what do you have to do? What? And I'm like, I don't really know, but I'm going to get involved. And so, um, so I did, I got onto the board, uh, moved my way up, like you said, to, to be the president for a few years. It was honestly the highlight of my career. It was a, a great experience. The, the board was a, a great mentors. They're, they're still, many of them are very much mentors to me. Um, and I felt like it was a way to get to expand my knowledge of the group. Uh, I got to know very personally, you know, pretty much every AM manufacturer, uh, a lot of the, you know, the marketing people, as well as the, the, the chief technology officers or CEOs sometimes, um, and really just got to see the industry from another perspective again, right? So seeing, you know, how the group works together and, you know, AMUG's unique in the fact that it's not about making money at the show, it's all about helping users use the technology. And so it was neat to be part of that. Um, you know, still very passionate. I'm not on the board right now officially, but I'm, I'm still, a, you know, uh, one of the um, coordinators for uh, one of their committees. And so, and, and still help out a lot, right? And it's, uh, you know, a nice way to give back uh, to the community. And so, uh, like I said, it was, it was really a highlight. It's a great event, um, you know, if you're looking for, to get a new machine and you're trying to see what kick the tires, see what everything is, Rapid or Formnex, those are the kind of better shows to go to. But once you've got that machine and it's sitting on your floor and you're trying to get the best out of it, AMUG's your best place. And that's, uh, you know, I felt that. I, I experienced that from AMUG. Um, and I think, uh, you know, if you did attend that, that's what you'd experience too. And I'm guessing you get to also see firsthand all the different personalities from all these companies and how they want to interact. Oh, yeah, with you, you get to know a little bit of the background <laughs> behind those companies more. Um, you know, you get to really know them. And, and AMUG's changed. Even when I was there, you know, when I started, AMUG had maybe 150 people on the board. I, there was or a few hundred people, at least, when I started on the board, right? When I, you know, last year was 2,500 or well, the year before COVID was 2,500 people, right? So it grew significantly over that time. Um, yeah, it was, I remember when it first started, it was like pulling teeth to try and get vendors, try to get um, sponsors in, but we were really, as a group, we were able to build the brand, build the awareness of why it's useful. Um, and now it's like, you know, my registration opened this morning at midnight, right? Well, we were on at midnight making sure we booked because we want to make sure we don't you know, miss out and not be able to go because there's not enough spots for us to, to be there. Sure. Yep. I did the same thing. So this morning <laughs> I slept in, <laughs> I didn't stay up that late. I, I made my marketing person do it this year. So, <laughs> um, yeah, so let's, let's go to EWI. So, I mean, can you give a little bit of, I mean, Edison Welding Institute, right? Is that the right? right. And that's okay. what it uh, so started what, as. What is, uh, yeah, it started as Edison Welding Institute. It's a not-for-profit research entity. Uh, so they do, you know, they started as a lot of research in welding. So welding and joining uh, moved into more of the forming side as well. So, you know, consulting, helping people figure out parameter sets and things for welding or how best to form this, how best to create this. Um, and then a little over 10 years ago was where they said, hey, 
especially it was the metal additive that was just starting to take off. Um, and some of their customers, the aerospace company customers came to them and said, hey, we need to get this off the ground and get it going. Can you guys help us? So that's where they, we formed an additive manufacturing consortium, which is my primary role now. And so that's got, you know, 65 member companies that get together quarterly. Um, we do research for those companies throughout the year. So the member companies pick the projects and then we do those projects throughout the year for them and, uh, you know, help them, you know, learn more about the technology. So we have quarterly meetings where we give the updates on the projects, but we also usually have a tour of a local facility. And we also have a bunch of invited speakers to help educate the group, get them to know uh, things that they may not know before. Um, so what are, what's, what's an example of a type of, of project? Are these kind of more like technical so research? So they're usually, they're a very technical project. It's a very technical group. Um, it has a bit of the feel of AMUG where it's that networking sharing type mm-hmm. thing. Um, in terms of the projects, you know, it varies from year to year. One year could be looking at, we usually do six to eight projects per year. Um, you know, we've got a project right now looking at all the new AM technologies. So just trying to identify what's new in the market, try to get samples for them because some of these companies, you know, it's hard to get samples. So if we can get one sample, push them and say, hey, if you give us one sample, we can distribute that information to 60 people that saves them time and effort too. So um, we do work like that. We've done one on this year on process restarts. So what happens when you open your, your build or it stops for, you know, you lost power for half an hour or, you know, something went wrong and you had to have it open for an hour. What about if it died in the middle of the night and it sat for 12 hours before you could actually get to it and repair it? You know, does it affect the microstructure? Does it affect the build? Um, we've done a lot of projects on material properties, right? So things like, what's the best parameters to build in canal or a seven series aluminum to avoid cracking. Um, looking at the post-processing too. So things like, you know, how do you measure surface roughness? How do you, you know, what, what methods do we have out there to polish the parts, smooth the parts to, to make them more applicable? Um, also the NDE side, what do you do from a non-destructive testing? You know, what methods can you use? What about, you know, a lot of people use CT, but what about ultrasound, PCRT, some of these other capabilities? Um, we'll look at all those kind of different scenarios. And it all depends. It's all based on member uh, voting. So, you know, one year, maybe one thing's more hot for the group. So we'll, that'll get picked and we'll do it. The other year, it might be a completely different vein that we moved down. So, uh, you know, it's a, a good opportunity. You get access to all the, that data. Um, and like I said, it's also that time to network, share, um, talk weekly. We just had our AMC meeting last week and it was the first time we're back live. We've been virtual for the year because of COVID. Honestly, everybody was thrilled to be back, those that could make it. We still had half the group virtual just because they can't get travel permission yet. But um, you could tell everybody was happy, right? We were, you know, it was 11 o'clock. We're still down talking, um, just chatting because I think everybody is so wanting to chat face-to-face versus you know, through this virtual environment. Do you have a, a specific industry that like topic areas? Is it more kind of high level in that? Do you like focus some years on automotive, some years on aerospace or whatever? Or is it yeah, like so, a- so the group started as aerospace, as I mentioned. So, you know, it's still, I would say predominantly aerospace, maybe 60% yeah. aerospace, just since that's where it started. Uh, but we're seeing more and more companies come in and we're expecting actually, you know, we've got a few automotive companies in, we're expecting more in because 
automotive's now at the point where they're looking at this technology, right? Whether they're looking at it from a tooling perspective or also from a production standpoint on certain parts. So, um, you know, automotive's one. In energy is also another area that we have a few people. Um, you know, they're all over. You know, it's it's companies that are making the the you know the products. It's they're using the technology to make their products. Uh, but then we also have suppliers like you know, powder suppliers and OEMs, um, as well as some research institutes, et cetera, that, that help us out on some of the projects. So um, it's a well-rounded group, I would say, and a lot of input. You know, what I find interesting is getting that input from the companies you know, and hearing them, you know, hey, well, we did this. What about you change this? Because we can share that data and we can kind of you know, see how this all comes together. So it's a, it's a good networking sharing opportunity. Um, and a, and a good opportunity to learn a different avenue that you maybe weren't as familiar with. Yeah, and it has like that a different feel than I mean, like there's America Makes. It's kind of a consortium, but research is driven top down by the government or whoever right. has fun or giving them the money. There's universities right. that kind of maybe a company could go to and do kind of a specific thing. There's ASTM and NIST and that are doing kind of specific standard stuff. But then you guys are much, it sounds like much more member driven. It's like, Hey, I've got this problem. You guys can yep. help with resources and kind of pool things together, but you still get access to kind of highly relevant data in a, in a, in a timely fashion. Yep. You're exactly right. We're, we're, we're kind of halfway in between that, you know, like you said, America makes is more about the funding. Yes. They have a conference sessions and things mm -hmm. like that to educate, but it's more people are part of it because of the potential for funding. I would say, uh, you know, America makes is one of our members, right? So we, we connect very well with them as well. Um, but we're not a trade show, you know, we're not, you know, one of those kind of things. Um, you know, it's very practical. You know, we're, we're mid-level TRL type levels. If you're thinking aerospace TRL levels, you know, we're not doing those final TRL where it's very company specific because that's more confidential. Companies are going to do that internally. We're also not at the far other end where it's this research that's not going to come to fruition for 20 years. Um, that's where, you know, our universities and other area, you know, um, research institutes and stuff come into. We're kind of in that middle range of just trying to, you know, more practical, I would say, things that are a one to two year, maybe five year out type uh, work. Um, just to, you know, why, why, each, why does everybody have to do that research? Let's do it together. And then we all share the results. It's much faster than everybody doing it themselves. Yeah. And I just see that so much more of a, a trend these days with, I mean, with obviously the stuff you guys are doing, some of the ASTM stuff, some of the America Makes things is just kind of getting those like, Hey, let's only do all these tensile bar, bar builds once and not right. everyone. <laughs> Boeing doesn't have to do it. Lockheed doesn't have to do it. Northrop doesn't have to do it. <laughs> let's right. Kind of yep. collaborate a little bit on that. And Yep. And we're involved in a lot of that too. You know, even ASTM, you know, um, center of excellence, we're part of that group as well. So, you know, again, same kind of thing, right? Merge together, generate those standards, get things working. Um, yeah, we do a lot of that type of work. Awesome. And if people or companies are interested in, in joining or learning more, just reach out to you directly or. Yeah. Reach out to me and I can put you in touch uh, and send you over the details on it. Uh, you know, we'd love to have you join. I think, uh, you know, we do, you know, our events are usually two days. So the first day is kind of a members only day. So you have to be a member to, you know, it's talking about the research and the results of the research, et cetera. 
Um, but then our second day is, is open um, to people that are looking to become members. So it's usually, you know, a way for you to kind of get a bit of the feel, see what it's like. You'll hear some of the invited speakers that we have. Um, you get to meet some of the members as well. Um, and, you know, many people that do come as guests end up, you know, switching to become a member, you know, shortly after. Awesome. Cool. And as we part, maybe one last question, like what, what piece of advice that would you give to, to someone kind of starting out in the additive space these days after kind of seeing it from a lot of different perspectives from the, the end user to running a mug to uh, the AMC, like, is there something that uh, you would take away or piece of advice that you would give to, to someone just starting out on their career? Um. Yeah, it's, you know, it's a great industry, right? I love it. I'm, you know, it's been become my specialty. I've been in it for a lot of years. Um, you know, I would say the one hardest thing that you're going to struggle is there's so much new, right? And you need to keep somewhat aware of what those things are because there is new technologies. There's new things coming. Um, but I think the biggest advice is don't just sit there on your own island because you're going to really struggle if you're trying to do it all on your own. Um you know, reach out to people, you know, talk to the, you know, go to AMA, go to Rapid, um, learn as much as you can, because, you know, you're going to find, you know, the systems aren't necessarily going to work perfectly every time, right? And so it's how do you respond to that? How do you, you deal with those issues? Um, you know, if you're trying to justify a machine, be cautious, make sure you account for those kind of things. You know, it's not, you know, you're going to be up and running necessarily the next day, right? Certain technologies, maybe, but most cases there's a learning curve, right? And so if you're doing that justification, make sure you account for all those things. Think about um, the post-processing, think about, you know, the labor costs and all those kind of things that you're going to have. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time today and sharing your career story and with us and with us all. And I look forward to, to seeing you in person at likely a mug, but hopefully before that at one of the upcoming shows. And uh, we'll post the the links to kind of your LinkedIn and EWI and the AMC on as we post this. And so people can check that out as, uh, as they see fit. Great. I'd love to talk to anybody that's interested to learn more. Awesome. Thanks well, thanks so much, me. Mark. Thank you.